Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. Today we get to chat with a wonderful new friend and showcase some of his music. But before I introduce him, I have to warn you that we kind of geek out in this episode about the book of Jonah, which is a very short prophetic book in the Old Testament of the Bible. And though we call it a book, it's really just a short story, only a few pages. And it very much has an epic adventure feel like the Iliad or the Odyssey. And like those ancient stories, originally for generations, this story would have just been told orally rather than being in writing for people to read. So just in case you are unfamiliar with the story, here is my 60-second version. God tells Jonah, an Israelite man, to travel to the wicked foreign city of Nineveh and to tell them to stop their evil ways or God would destroy the whole city. But Jonah runs away instead. He gets on a boat and sails in the opposite direction. When a huge storm threatens to sink the boat, Jonah tells the crew to throw him overboard and they'd be safe. So they do. And the storm calms. As Jonah is sinking down in the water to his doom, God sends a huge fish to swallow him up and safely transport him back to shore. While Jonah is in the belly of the fish, he prays a very intense prayer about God's goodness and rescue. Then the fish spits him out on dry land, and God tells Jonah again to go to Nineveh. So Jonah finally does, and he walks right into the evil city, and he tells them to stop their evil ways. And... What do you know? They all do. But Jonah goes and sits on a hill outside the city and waits, hoping that God will destroy the city anyway for all its past evil. Finally, God essentially reminds Jonah that God had compassion on him. Why shouldn't God have compassion on a people who can't even tell their right hand from their left hand, as well as all the animals that they own? And then the story just ends with that question hanging in the air. Enjoy the episode. You're here early. Only a minute. (laughs) Hello, David. (laughs) Hello there. Hello, Uh, Jeff. Hello, Susan. I thought I should just... uh, My voice is not the best this morning. It's not the worst, but... um, so Susan will lead a lot of this and I will interrupt. She can assure you because um, <laughs> there's no way I can keep my mouth shut. Thank you very much for having me. Oh gosh, we're thrilled. You are the light of the age. Oh, you are the light of the age. Bring in to life all the colors and the praise oh you are the light my friends we are very excited to get to spend some time with david benjamin Bloor, a musician poet writer theologian podcaster and eco activist based in the uk so david welcome Thanks very much for having me. It's good to be here. So first off, can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing 
Um, where did you grow up and what is your faith background? Well, uh, I am an Englishman. I am a little confused about whether I come from the north or the south. I've, um, I've spent time in both. Um, and my family background was Christian, evangelical. Um, my dad was uh, and indeed is a rather idiosyncratic um, sort of Methodist um, uh, with quirks. And my, um, my mother, who passed on when I was very young, was a, um, a very charismatic sort of Christian. I have uh, lots and lots of siblings. We've all wandered in very, very um, diverse and different directions and paths. Um, uh, for myself, I suppose I've always, um, um, oh, how should I put it? There's always been a, a, a depth of connection to um, the God I was introduced to as a young person. I met in the Bible and, and uh, carried on with in various often shambolic ways. I've always been a bit, a bit uneasy with uh, the theologian title that I carry. I So I've not... Uh, I've done um, some of a master's in theology, but it's not what I studied at university. I studied um, music, media and cultural studies. Um, So I've done bits of theological, um, a little bit of academic work since then, occasionally write things for journals and so on. But mostly I've found myself working in that world and... um, uh, and I just, uh, I just love talking and reading and thinking and feeling. Um, mm. So I've, I've just found myself very much working in those, in those realms and with those sorts of people. Um, yeah. So I, I'm the, you know, I'm the, uh, <laughs> the accidental theologian, if you will. So would that have happened from early on out of university? Um. Yeah, I mean, I'd go back further. I, I was, um, you know, when you go up a Sunday school as a kid, I don't know if you were, um, had the uh, uh, experience of being in church as kids, uh, you go up a Sunday school and you get given your own your own Bible. So mm-hmm. I, I went up a, a Sunday school when I was eight and got given a Bible. Um, and I um, started reading it as an eight-year-old. And I didn't really, um, I just assumed it was a book. Um, you know, so I started at the beginning and just kept on going and um, made my way through most of the Old Testament as an eight-year-old. And I think um, probably that's the formative theological experience for me. Um, Sorry, uh, Susan is laughing because my jaw just dropped. As an eight-year-old, you read the Old Testament. Yeah. How do you enjoy uh, Kings and Chronicles? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh well those are riveting i mean i remember reading i was gonna say thinking, he probably loved those and samuel also as an eight-year-old boy i mean everyone complains about leviticus don't they right right um but i i think in a way if if you if we don't read the bible as um you know as our sort of uh service to our cultural tribe you know then it's just it's just full of stories, isn't it? And it's fascinating and it's absolutely bizarre. And um, I mean, as a kid, I found it an oddly unjudgmental read. It would just say, oh, this terrible thing happened. <laughs> and then this terrible thing happened. And it wouldn't really say anything about it. It wouldn't say, 
um, don't do that. That's not, you know, it, it would just tell you what happened. And I guess that chimed with um, my experience of life. Yeah, I find it, I do find that funny that it, it yeah, it's not like, and so-and-so did this horrible thing and we shouldn't do that. And because, because the Bible doesn't say, and he did all these horrible things, we shouldn't do those. We, I don't know, I feel like a lot of people misinterpret that as like, Samson is amazing. Like, no, no, God can use even like really horrible things, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's almost morally ambiguous, isn't it? It's, um, it's uh, people either take these things as examples of what to do or as what not to do. Um, yeah, and I'm often aware of uh, a difference really in... Um, in how how different people read the text because i think the normal thing is to start with the new testament and then the old testament the hebrew bible's kind of read afterwards um and it's it's sort of read through the lens of the uh, the new testament uh whereas it's always been the other way around for me hmm. um yeah so so i sort of uh, i'm reluctant to sort of read all the ideas of the new testament back into the old uh into the into the hebrew bible so um yeah it does like how we how we pick these things up just it's very formative of uh of where it sits in us isn't it right yeah i had a professor once who was very much like that um very much like let's read the old testament as it is I don't know. He always used to say like a snake is a snake is a snake. Like he didn't he wanted people to, yeah, he wanted people to read the beginning of Genesis as like its own story, not the snake is also Satan is also the dragon is also whatever. Like, so I don't know. It was interesting. I can get back to our other questions. <laughs> so you make a living as an artist, which is not easy. I'm curious what led to that decision and whether it was or has been frightening either for you or your family. Hmm. I mean, the, the reality is like many people of, uh, of our generation, uh, I have lots of different jobs. So, so I definitely don't make um, all of my living um, as, as a musician and poet. Um, that's part of it, but um, you know, I uh, I make podcasts. I edit sound. Um, I hold kind of learning spaces. So yeah, like so many people, I'm doing all sorts of uh, different things. But I am really glad that um, uh, you know, being an artist, being a musician, is is able to be part of it. And I don't even know if I'd want it to be all of it. Uh, I think that was a frightening leap at one point. I had worked for sort of a, a mission organization um, and I stayed there much longer than than I should have if I was braver, really, because it was a very uh, clunky fit and they were just too kind of kind to fire anybody <laughs> who obviously didn't belong. Um, so, yeah, but it was um, it was a, a leap, I think, to um, uh, to become my own boss and, uh, and do the things I really wanted to do. Um, and yeah, no, it's just really um, nail biting at times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, feeling it these days, like so many people, it's um, uh, the economics of the world are becoming um, more and more fraught, aren't they? So yeah, I, uh, I'm often looking at what what other things I should be doing. It's um, 
it's nail biting but i'm glad i've done it and i hope i get to continue doing it in some form or other We'll move on to the book of Jonah. I get a huge kick out of your work on Jonah. You have this small book called Sympathy for Jonah, which is wonderful and heartfelt. And you also have this music album called The Book of Jonah, which feels like it could be the soundtrack of a pirate movie or a spaghetti Western. And it's a pretty ruckus good time. So my question here is, why Jonah? What led you to focus on this particular biblical story? And also, how do you know N.T. Wright, um, who does the scripture readings for the album? <laughs> well, why Jonah? Why Jonah? I was reading, um, I was reading Moby Dick. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And, uh, and, and really enjoying it. And it drew me back to um, the, the book of Jonah, which, of course, it references all the time because it's a, a very bookish book. Mm-hmm. So, and I was reading... Um, uh, the book of Jonah and the old King James, because um, uh, Moby Dick pointed me back to all the sort of uh, archaic language and just being frozen in my guts by the, um, you know, Jonah's prayer in uh, chapter two, about going down to the roots of the mountains, absolutely terrifying kind of um, death image imagery and all this kind of stuff is so powerful and beautiful and dreadful. Um but I think the moment that really triggered this um, this contemplation was w- watching the news um, one day, and I th- it was uh, 2014, I think. And on the news, there was this picture of a mosque in um, northern Iraq, and it turned out this mosque was the um, uh, was in in their tradition um, said to house the bones of Jonah. Hmm. Uh, along with a whale tooth and a few other bits and pieces that fit with the story. Uh, Jonah being a, a prophet in uh, the Islamic tradition also. Uh, but and then, and then the mosque just got, it just blows up on the TV screen right there. It turns into a puff of dust. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that ISIS had destroyed the mosque because those, you know, those were the wrong kinds of Muslims and they were mm-hmm. busy kind of getting rid of everything that wasn't their own. Um, their own their own way of doing things um, and this was on the Nineveh Plains this was in the city of Mosul on the Nineveh Plains um, so uh, it threw me into the thought experiment I thought what if I um, what if I heard the voice of God ask me to go to Mosul and mm. preach repentance to um, to ISIS would I do it and I immediately thought no I absolutely wouldn't um, no way um, and I suppose there was an odd kind of terrifying quality about the the brutality and the violence um, mm-hmm. that that particular group was exacting, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Um, which brought me back to the book of Jonah and to, uh, to, to rethink the story, really, just because the story is always uh, given to me as a as a Protestant Christian as, um, you know, just a badly behaved uh, a badly behaved person who just lacked kind of missional zeal, mm-hmm. um, but a bit of 
historical research reveals um, Nineveh as the seat of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, which were an which was an extraordinarily brutal militaristic um, force in the world at that time. They used to try and terrify everybody into submission by making you know pyramids out of severed heads and skinning people alive and all sorts of horrible things that they would do to try and terrify the world into submission. And they were they were you know succeeding as an empire for um, for a time and really making the world uh, Assyria. Mm. Um, so yeah, suddenly I, I began to think about Jonah as someone asked to go and do something like that. Like you know, it's like asking a Jewish person to go and preach repentance to the Nazis or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. And that and that put the book in a different light. That's that's where the uh, that's where the thoughts began. A hundred leagues from the coast, there are demons, there are ghosts in Nineveh, where the evil Assyrian emperor gloats in children and dogs and fleas they make towers of their heads of their enemies if ever there's a place that you don't want to be it's the subtitle of your book is reflections on humiliation terror and the politics of enemy love I want to talk about that. What do you mean by the politics of enemy love? And how do you see this concept affecting today's world? So by the politics of enemy love, what do I mean by that? So this book struck me as extraordinary that anyone would write, um, uh, would write a book commending the idea of having compassion on um these brute you know this brutally violent murderous empire who was you know uh, the fear of the world and, and absolutely abominable in its um sort of hateful way of doing things um and i i, I don't know how people would have reacted to it at the time and people have got booed off when they were you know beginning to tell this story around the fire um uh, especially since in the end the neo-syrian empire did uh, conquer, you know, the Northern Kingdom of Israel and exact all those terrible things um, uh, on those people. Uh, mm -hmm. it, I, I'd have thought it'd be a real kind of taboo story to tell. Um, so, so here you have a, a, a story promoting um, a political posture of enemy love, of humanizing our enemies. I mean, well, in terms of how this plays out in the world, yeah, I you I believe you people are um are situated in America, so mm -hmm. you're going to know what um you know a very fraught and uh, divisive political environment looks like and what um uh, what it looks like to um, be hateful towards one's opponents and enemies. Um, here you have a story about you know uh, rehumanizing your opponents, those the group who are abominable to you and wrong about everything and utterly stupid and their their policies and practices are the, are the things that are destroying the world mm. i mean the book of james is beautiful because all these things are true it's not 
it's not that people are not ruining the world. It's not that it's not that bad. It really is that bad. And yet the book of Jonah um, uh, humanizes that terrible other. And, well, I guess I decided it was suggesting the practice, the, the, you know, the really unthinkable thing of going and putting yourself at the mercy of your enemies. Jonah goes all by himself, right, into the, uh, into the capital of that empire. Uh, without any army, without any weaponry, without anything, you know, just puts his body in the place of the terrible other uh, and speaks his truth. He's not nice. <laughs> right. he's, not, he's not kind. He doesn't even really want it to work. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but there you go. There's the uh, the political practice of enemy love for me is about putting yourself uh, in the realm of the terrible other and, and prayerfully seeing what happens. I, I guess it leads me to, um, to the passion. I think this is what Jesus does in the context of the Roman Empire. And um, the, the Roman Empire don't repent. And it, um, mm. it doesn't, you know. Right. So the, um, you know, and Jesus is crucified. Right. And then other things happen, don't they? But um, it's not—it's not with the promise that you know it'll always work out in your favor. I don't think it does always work out in your favor. However, I do think that miraculous things of some kind will always happen if we're willing to put ourselves in the place of the uh, terrible other. Right. Goodness, peace. Oh, Let words be few And the tears be many Let words be few And the laughter merry Goodness and peace encounter the atrocities that happen in this world like what's happening in ukraine right now well to look at jonah's example he's full of anger 
Um, there's anger is such a powerful theme in it, uh, in the book of Jonah. I got to say, part of me thinks that anger is part of a healthy response and part of a healthy interaction with, um, with our terrible others. Um, the other thing it kind of led me to, obviously, the, you know, the initial provocation was ISIS, you know, was this very other group over there. Um, the more I thought and the more I reflected, the more I began to see myself as a Ninevite uh, rather than as Jonah, you know, I, or at least I began to relate to, to that party also. Um, so if I think about um, yeah, where I live in the UK, you know, there's the war that's going on in the Ukraine um, um, uh, because of a, a man like Vladimir Putin and what he's doing. Um, meanwhile, there's been a, a war going on in Yemen for mm-hmm. uh, years and years and years. And the bombs that are dropping on Yemen are being built in my country. Um, the people who are losing their lives there are losing their lives, um, you know, often enough um, at the hands of technology that uh, that my country uh, gets its wealth by selling, you know, um, to uh, Saudi Arabia or wherever else. Um, so I think at some point we also have to make the the switch and recognize that uh, in terms of, you know, thinking politically about these things, we're probably, we're somebody else's terrible other. And somebody else will have reason to be angry at us. Mm. Um, and that anger has the potential to be a healing gift to us if we're willing to receive it. Yes, I think so. I want to try to give an example right quick, if that's okay. Um, so. I have two kids and I love them both dearly, but when one of them does something horrible to the other, I get angry. And that doesn't mean that I stopped loving them. I'm angry because one of them was hurt unjustly and I'm angry because the other one, whom I still love, is behaving poorly and I want better things for that child. So... In that regard, my anger is a valid and appropriate response to something that should not be happening. Right. And I think that's how God interacts with people as well. Anger at injustice while still maintaining love. And I think Jonah's anger is justified in that this nation that he is coming to has done horrible, horrible things. He's not wrong. It's just that there's a bigger picture that it seems God is trying to pull him into. I mean, is the better story one of revenge and destruction or one of redemption and wholeness, right? I mean, one of the things I love about the story is the, is the ending or the lack of an ending, you know? Whereas, <laughs> yes. It doesn't, it's once again, you know, it's, this, it's the, uh, this oddly unjudgmental posture that the Bible sometimes adopts. Right. Here's what happened. You know, Jonah said this, but then God said that, but then Jonah said this, and then, and then, oh, and then God says something, and then it just stops. But it's not, uh, you never know not what right. Jonah makes of it. It's right. not resolution. No, and, the, and the, the question remains open. And I think it's because of the extraordinary tenderness of the subject matter. So in, in the story of Jonah, we're not, it's, we're not talking abstractly about the emotion of anger. 
we're talking about um, atrocities that people had experienced. So one of the things that um, that I read in a in a commentary on the book of Jonah, which one was it? I can't remember. It was a Jewish commentary, and um, there was a quote in it from um, uh, from somebody saying, "When I this was a Jewish voice saying, when I hear about God's um, compassion and mercy um, here in the book of Jonah, I just see um, I just see Holocaust victims." Mm-hmm. Um, so that person had um, a story of of um, incomprehensible um, atrocity in his family experience, um, perhaps in his um, lived experience. Um, that's relevant information when it comes to talking about love and anger. So I think, as you say, um, anger is information about something that's happened. Um, so there's a Um, And I suppose I value in the book of Jonah the being real about that information, because if we're not real about it, we're we're covering up something that's true. Right. Yeah. Why do you stand far off, seeming there beyond? While the voiceless hurting suffer long Oh Jesus, how we need The feet that bring good news The hands that heal the hurting and abuse May we yet be still May our raging cease May we make these days Ready for His peace I mean, I, lo- I love talking about this just because, like, Jonah is my favorite book in the bible story it is yeah so Ah. i actually think that's how i first read your name was we were doing a sermon series on jonah at my church and i was just looking up resources for that and came across the album and then i found the book and i got it for my sermon and just all this stuff so anyway David, you are a podcast co-host for Nomad Podcast, and you also do what I keep calling eco-activism. So how did you get started on those projects? Oh, so I was interviewed on Nomad Podcast uh, before I really knew what a podcast was, actually. Mm. Um, So some time ago now, uh, you know, probably 10 years ago or something. And then I think, uh, yeah, so one of the hosts, you know, moved on to other things. So I think Tim, the remaining host, thought, well, David Blow is a musician, so he's going to have lots of time. Um, <laughs> so he asked me if I wanted to get involved. So um, so I did. Yeah, so I'm one of the hosts. So there's lots of hosts now. So I'm sort of on there every now and then. But um, uh, but there's enough of us so that, uh, you know, there's uh, somebody different every time. Um, and this this is how to 
answer an unanswered question from earlier. That's how I met um, Tom Wright. Sorry, I want to interrupt here for the sake of our listeners. In case you haven't heard of him, N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright, is a Bible scholar and theologian, an Anglican bishop, and a research fellow at Oxford University. He is exceptionally good at taking very complex theological ideas and breaking them down so that anyone can understand them. He's kind of a big deal. Okay, back to David. That's how I met um, Tom Wright. Oh, okay. Um, who did the voice for Jonah. I, th- I think they were interviewing Tom Wright um, before I was part of the podcast. And I hitched along nice. and asked him to uh, read um, read the, the book of Jonah like a bedtime story so he could be on the record. Oh, that's so great. Um, I've, I've met him a couple times. Um, once, so my husband went to Princeton Theological Seminary and like the week after our first child was born uh, and T. Wright was coming to Princeton to speak. And so we strapped the baby on, (laughs) went to um, hear him speak. And we stood in the back in case I had to like duck out because the baby's screaming. And um, we got to go down and shake his hand uh, with the baby. We have this great picture of him and us and little tiny baby and then I met him at a conference also, but he wouldn't remember me at all. He's just very, very sweet. And <laughs> he's a very, he's a lovely person. He's very uh, present, you know, whenever mm-hmm. I've uh, interviewed him about this or that. Um, I think um, I asked him if he wanted to make another album. I was kind of joking. And mm-hmm. he couldn't remember that we'd made the first one. So I think <laughs> you know, he's, got, he's got no idea that we're in a band together. And every now and then I try and remind him. <laughs> Well, he apparently, so at this conference, someone made reference to him being able to play guitar, um, which he can. And so he ended up getting up and in front of everybody and playing a few different songs and he wasn't bad. I've seen him playing like a Bob Dylan song or something. Yeah. Like a a YouTube video or something. Nice. Yeah, like he might. I think it was the Beatles. He might have played something from the Beatles. I'm not. I don't remember. But it was pretty. It was pretty great. Does he sing also? Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> so I know you're going to move on to some eco activism here, but sticking with the music, David, how would you see your your music being used in someone's spiritual formation as you're writing that style of music? Oh, it's a good question. I'm quite dubious about the rut that um, particularly evangelical sorts of worlds are in with with music. Um, So I meet lots of people who are evangelical or perhaps they don't go to an evangelical space anymore. And one of the things that's really difficult for people is the songs Mm -hmm. um, and the music and the style of music, because there's a sort of pervasive individualism uh it, you know it's, it's sort of revolving around the, the same few kind of theological ideas and some of those you know half of those ideas have become quite um fraught for for many people yeah and, and when you hear music it's almost like an immersive emotional environment is just all around you mm-hmm. and if you feel out of kilter with that then that's quite that's quite a hard <laughs> thing to um to sort of uh to to remain with for a long time 
so I think a, a lot of people feel this sense of, oh, well, there needs to be a new song, you know. That's, mm-hmm. so it's a very Bible-ish idea, isn't it? I think we should sing a new song to mm-hmm. the Lord. Um, part of me thinks, I think we need to wait, really, before we, um, before we just try and, you know, reinvent how we sing songs together. Part of me thinks we need to um, let the dust settle a bit and um, let it compost in us what it what it is that felt right about how we've sung together and what it is that doesn't um, so that we can you know do things more truly uh, so there we go I, ironically I, I write sacred songs all the time I write them for podcasts and I I mean all I'm really doing is um, prayer contemplation theology that's that's all they are they're just um, musical meditations on on theological themes um, experiences they're just they're just prayer really let the trees all clap their hands and the stones all jump for joy let the earth shake off its bonds and the peoples all rejoice Maranatha our maker who maketh all things right Maranatha our If you still have time and want to answer the question about eco-activism, that would be great. But I also want to respect your time. Well, so I should definitely go in in um, five minutes. I've got uh, a boy to pick up from school. But if you'd like, I can maybe speak into that um, briefly. Um, eco, eco-activist sounds quite quite lofty. I'm, I don't think I'm doing more than many people. You know, I'm just doing the usual things and the things that just feel like the normal human things to do these days. I um, reduce my meat and dairy. I try not to go on planes if uh, if I can possibly avoid it. And um, uh, and I suppose the work I create as a musician and as a podcaster are um, very much geared towards telling this story and opening up the story for, for more voices and more engagement of, um, of what it means to be a human being in the, uh, in the Anthropocene, in the age of uh, uh, where the human creature is able to do um, astonishing and dreadful things to the, uh, to the living planet. You know, and I show up, I show up every now and then when people take to the streets. Uh, but not, you know, not very much, not, not more than the average person. I think it's, it's our lived reality now and it, and it will be for the generations to come. So it's not a, um, to me, it's not like a, a battle we need to fight right now for a while. It's realigning our lives to, um, to be lives that are creaturely and rebalance themselves with the, um, the life of all creation i think that's just 
what we're going to need to spend the rest of our lives doing and that's what our, the future generations will have to um will have to do just, yeah just trying to be a good ancestor i guess Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. A big thank you to David Benjamin Blower for letting us use his music for this episode. You can find links to all of David's work at davidbenjaminblower.com. I have one last song of his to show you, so stick around. But until next time, live well. Put your hands in the soil Feel the groan and feel the joy All sit with the hurt Stare into the dirt Occupy the bandstands Gather lost citizens Climb down your pyramids Relinquish your privilege Welcome strangers to your table As though they were angels Make space for the spent Feel the lament, break your vows to the powers, plant trees and grow flowers, share the resources, free all the horses. All citizens, put your hands in the soil and feel the growth. Riverside, who's not afraid to die? Emerge from the waves, broke loose from the powers of the age. Live now, citizens of what's left of the age to come. Behold the Messiah dying for the lands we are crucifying. Break bread and take drink, all feel and think. Shed tears every day. For everything we throw away Mourn for your families Mourn for your enemies Sing to the stars Console our grieving hearts All citizens Put your hands in the soil And feel the growth Feel the joy and be still and be still. Clap your hands to your mouth, let your pride go south, put your hand on your head, make terms with the dead. Put your hands on your face Too late to learn from our mistakes Put your hand on your heart Can we stop what we start? Sisters to the leverage Brothers to the edges Youth to the fore This bleak future is yours All ye of noble bone Join the scum of the earth Gather around the powerless 
There's the power that can save us. in the soil and feel the growth can you feel the joy and be still 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 and be still, and be still. And be still.